Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilloa, and today we have Brad Olson on the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Gary. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. Great. And it looks like you have a couple books here, Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric. That's correct. Those are the first two in the Esoteric book series. And I have number three, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet, which will be coming out at the end of 2020. Awesome. Can't wait. Um, So what started this journey down the Esoteric? Oh. Do you want the uh, short answer or long answer? Uh, the truth. <laughs> well, it's always the truth. Uh, give you the, just a quick short answer. Basically, I was I, I was a travel writer for many years, and travel got me around the world, showed me a lot of places, was very good in the 90s and early 2000s, but then the internet started to change the market. It was harder and harder to sell content in the form of books or online articles. So I had to have a conversation with myself. What is it that I really want to do and what is it that I'm really passionate about? Esoteric subjects that I cover in this book this series of books that really held my passion for this kind of work. So I started working on it about a decade ago. The first in the series came out in 2012 and they're now in audiobook form and ebook and even second editions and going on the second reprint of the second edition. So Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric have done very well, and I suspect uh, Beyond Esoteric will do well, too, because I repeat my subjects. I always put out fresh material, and it's basically all the subjects that have been withheld from humanity, and I do feel at the core of my belief that we have a right to know this stuff. As we see practically on a daily basis there are more and more shocking news stories coming out about what has been kept from us and i think that's just downright wrong that uh, we should be denied the truth about our very existence who we are what's going on in this world today suppressed technology and even things about the way our government and money systems work these are all as esoteric subjects are only known by a select few. And that's really what the word means. When people start to understand this, when they start to wake up to this information, the word actually changes. It becomes exoteric. So while it's still esoteric, that is what I find the most fascinating. And this is what I've been endeavoring to put out in various forms, mostly in my books for the last decade. And that's what got me into it, Gary. So what have you discovered or um, about the origins of our human race? Mm. Well, this is really where modern esoteric starts, looking mm-hmm. all the way back at the evidence for antediluvian civilizations in the world such as the lost continents of Lemuria and Atlantis, which most people are familiar with. Madame Blatovsky, who wrote The uh, Secret Doctrine and other books in the 19th century, she says there was actually five high civilizations on this planet, first being Hyperboreum, and uh, then finally with Atlantis. 
none of these are in our history books. That's what makes them esoteric subjects. But I look into the evidence of what's been left behind by them and how that influenced the current civilization we are in today. And then I get into some of the uh, primitive wisdom and some of the indigenous people's esoteric knowledge, uh, and then moving up to the modern age and many of the issues that we have in the world today, but also what's been hidden from us primarily, even all the way back to uh, our pineal gland has been suppressed, uh, sacred geometry and knowledge of that and symbols. This is all very important. This is good information for people to know uh, in this modern age, how the system works basically and to see these communications in their various ways. I'm sure you've heard the term hidden in plain sight. Yes. That's what you find with these esoteric subjects is oftentimes, yeah, they get put out into the world and then uh, it's almost like they're daring us to understand it. (laughs) (laughs) And once you understand, it, it, it's kind of like Pandora's box. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to go back to your old ways of thinking. Once you start seeing the world for the way it really is, then it really does become like that uh, William Blake quote, uh, where the band The Doors got their name from. Once the doors of perception are cleansed, we'll see things the way they really are. And that is pretty much infinite. And uh, we get this glimpse into the mechanizations of how the world works in so many various ways. And as David Icke says, you really don't get the big picture if you just understand a few of these. Uh-huh. What you really have to do is connect the dots. And when you connect a, a good majority of the dots, then you start getting this clear picture of what the jigsaw puzzle picture really looks like. And that's really important to understand because you can't just go into this saying, very well, that's just one part of it. You have to have a, a larger picture. So people have come up to me at conferences that I speak at and say, Oh, look at your books and you're kind of a big picture guy. Yeah, yeah, that's what you kind of have to be to get an understanding for these subjects. So it is a big picture, and it is connecting the dots, and it is looking at this with an uncritical eye, not really having any side in it, really, but just to understand it for what it is. And that's the position I've always taken when I've worked on these books. Um. Do you think that like these advanced situations, advanced, advanced civilizations like um, Atlantis and Lemuria, um, were they just ancient humans, or do you think it was a result of the planet being seeded by aliens, or a combination of both? Yeah. That's a great question, and I do get into that in a chapter in Modern Esoteric called Blood of the Gods. I think it is all the above, Gary, and I would even add a little bit extra, and that's the RH negative blood factor that humans have. 15% of us are RH negative blood, including my own family. And what's so very interesting, there are many aspects of what RH negative blood people can do or who they are and even slightly physically different from all the rest. But the main difference is that if a woman, and I'll use my grandmother, is RH negative and she married an RH positive man, my uncle Douglas, he died at five days old because his blood mixed with my grandmother's and it killed him. And this is only in the human race that this happens. This is a very unusual trait. 
that humans have these uh, non-compatible blood types in certain circumstances. It has to be an RH negative mother and it has to be an RH positive baby for this to work. Now, there are drugs these days and a lot of treatments <clears throat> that can prevent this contamination from happening. But it just goes to show that humans are not what we think. Then you can also look at how the discoverer of DNA, the co-discoverer Francis Crick, he often said that it's impossible for humans to have made this great leap in our DNA code from basically proto-humans to modern humans in the short amount of time that is allowed. He often compared it to uh, going to a yard sale and every single part of a 747 is just laid out individually on the lawn. And it'd be like someone who has no knowledge of what a plane is being able to put it all together and making it fly. It sounds impossible. And that's pretty much what he thought our DNA being as advanced as it is, was. So, so many different things about the human genome are very esoteric and still being studied and new information coming out all the time. And I find this subject very interesting as well. Um, do you think, like, whatever happened at that time, um, at, at some point, um, was there a break between maybe advanced humans and um, humans that were less evolved and yeah. the ones that were more evolved, sort of, you know, or was that one for like a power grab, basically, to control the planet? Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, there is quite a bit of evidence that there was crossbreeding among the uh, proto-humans. For example, uh, there's about 2% Neanderthal in people that there was that crossbreeding and Sometimes you'll just see someone walking down the street that looks very kind of primitive in their appearance, heavy brows, heavy set guys. And you can tell that there are regressive genes that still remain among us, as well as uh, this RH negative blood type. Now, my mom was RH positive, but my dad's RH negative. So it mm -hmm. didn't work that way as far as contaminating the blood but I could very well have RH negative children. So it's kind of like our eye color. It can change by generation and it can come out in even later generations. And so that's one of the amazing things about DNA is that it does hold this memory of who we are and can come out in different generations after us. Interesting. Um, so one of the things I've read in your summary is, uh, you know, you talk a little bit about like the new world order. Um, now I, I've always wondered, like, is the new world order, you know, there's so many different theories about it. Just like the, what is this? Uh, I mean, the first one I came across with Bavarian Illuminati, which was like this small group of guys in Germany. Um, you know, the other one is like, uh, like more like a Zionist theory. And then there's alien theories, and then there's like even the reptilian theories. Do do you um, adopt any of those? Well, absolutely. I think we really have to consider extraterrestrials in a lot of this research, especially as it pertains to the human race. We could look back at the. Uh, the Sumerian cuneiform texts that have been interpreted by Zechariah Sitchin and others. Uh, his wonderful books on the subject suggest that we are uh, an amalgamation. Uh, the result of the mixing of DNA of these proto-humans and some modern DNA. Just smart enough 
to take orders and go down into the gold mines of South Africa, according to Sitchin, uh, but dumb enough not to question authority, to know them as gods and lords, as our terms still use today. So these progenitor race, for lack of a better term to call them that, who created the human species, had a uh, incentive to do so. Um, and you could probably make the argument that it's taken us all this time up to this modern age for us to even realize that and to also assert our own independence and say, well, we don't really need to have the belief or to really make these uh, overlords have all this uh, power over us. So it's, it's almost taking our power back finally uh, and asserting our independence on this planet and just mm -hmm. basically understanding who we are because so much of who we are has been suppressed knowledge and information. So right. to me, this is one of the more interesting aspects of learning these esoteric subjects is also coming into our own power. And I have a chapter in future esoteric in the utopia section called superhuman abilities. And it's really when we do come into our power, then we're going to start having the potential of being telepathic of telekinesis of astral traveling of so many different human abilities that have just been laying dormant that could start coming out. I would like to think it could happen within our lifetime, Gary, but certainly in future generations, we'll yeah. have the capacity to start mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that those skills actually, like, there's a lot of people now that are even work on developing some of those skills. Um, but, but first I want to backtrack again before we go and dive into that. Um, do you think there was one alien race that was responsible or do you think there was two or more alien races responsible? And um, also with that, with that, um, you know, there's been descriptions of sort of like an alien war that happened here on our planet back along, you know, in history. Uh, do, you, do you think there's any substance to any of those? Oh, there is. And let's take it in part. Yeah, I know that was a lot. <laughs> One or more alien races. Yeah, it, it'd be hard to, to say definitively that there were more than one, but I would say certainly at least one has been responsible in putting us together. And uh, your second part of the question was, do we, uh, what was it? Do we have the evidence of where we may have come from? Well, there's well, been like reports pretty clear there's been, in Africa. There's been reports of like more than one alien race um, sort of fighting over us. Right, right. M mainly like the greys and, and that, reptilian yeah, type of thing. Sure. Right. And also feeling that they had a certain degree of control over us that if they created us that they could manipulate us or abductions right. or uh, genetic experiments, things like that. Yeah, because there is a, a law in the universe similar to the prime directive from Star Trek that ET races that are advanced are not allowed to manipulate or direct the outcome of lesser civilizations. But if they had a hand in our creation, they could make the appeal that, Hey, well, these are our property. Right. And, and therefore we have a right. And so I think that is the case that there has been this ongoing manipulation and, uh, uh, that's just who we are. That's the human race as it is. 
to this day, and we're finally waking up to see it. I love that quote by uh, William Cooper, famous whistleblower who was coming out of naval intelligence in his first lecture at the UFO Congress in the late 1980s. He said, you put the aliens in the middle of this stuff and you get all the answers. <laughs> it's pretty correct. Yeah. Because you do start getting a lot of these answers and, and some of this even has to do with uh, Antarctica as well and what's going on down there. Uh, right. You may know that uh, so, so, early yeah, last that, that, year I was down there. You were. So, so what is going oh, yeah. on down? There? I mean, I mean, there's yeah, this, I, this rumor of like this entrance to an underground base. They've also say they found pyramids. Um, I've heard rumors of of it being reptilians. I've heard rumors that um, Hitler was working with reptilians and and went to yeah. Antarctica and stayed in that base with them. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty much all the above. Um, of course, where I went was just one tiny part of Antarctica. It's a huge continent. It's the fifth largest in the world. So the distances are very vast. But we can determine certain things by uh, looking at Google Earth. We can also understand the geography of the continent. For example, it's the most geothermically active continent in the world. There's 91 volcanoes that are known in Antarctica. So it would create the propensity for large under ice domes that have been heated geothermically. And of course, this oh, yeah. is what like the Nazis tubes. were looking for. Yes, there is. There is lava flow on some of the volcanoes. Well, I'm just saying, like, like, like uh, lava tubes would be perfect place to, to travel down and hide out. Yeah, that's right. So if you're thinking about where on earth, if you're uh, ET or even our uh, different factions on this planet of humans, if you wanted to hide out, if you needed a... Uh, base of operation to build things or stay under the ice. It's really Antarctica is a place to go. Uh, that and the lowest, deepest depths of the ocean are the last truly unexplored portions of the planet because what exists under the ice, it's still being revealed every year when they're scanning on top, they're finding that there's indeed a whole system of rivers that connect to lakes that flow under the ice. You may not know this, but there's one of the top 10 largest freshwater lakes in the world is under the ice in Antarctica. It's called Lake Vostok. It's about the size of Lake Ontario, I didn't know one that. of our great lakes. No so idea. with a freshwater source and with heat, yeah, you could survive down there. Yeah, and, and I guess also the with the volcanic activity underground, that would be a good source of energy also. That's correct. So then you have a, a heat source, you have an energy source. And if you have the technology to grow food using um, lights, because it is dark there for four months a year, especially at the South Pole, pitch black for four months. So you'd need some kind of ultraviolet light to grow food, but we know that's possible. Uh, you could hang out there pretty much indefinitely. And I think this is what the Nazis were thinking when they were approaching the end of the war, knowing that they were going to lose to get their uh, top scientists and equipment down there. But I'll tell you this too, Gary, it's a tough life down there, even if you are uh, somewhat sheltered from the elements below the ice, it would still be a hard life. We're hardwired to be in nature and temperate climates. It's really not suitable for long-term living. I'm sure there are groups that do, and who knows how alien races, you mentioned reptilians, right. they may have no problem with the cold. Maybe they like it. Um, or they're suited for that kind of climate. But 
most of uh, the, the the Nazi Fourth Reich backward engineered, I think that moved to South America in the 1950s. They really didn't like it there that much either. But I, yeah, I've, I've, I can pretty much uh, pinpoint on a map of Antarctica where their New Berlin base was, not too far from the Schumacher Ponds in that new Schwabenland area. Like to go and investigate this particular area with a film crew and maybe bring down some Geiger counters and see if the U.S. nuked this area during Project Argus, one of the classified nuclear bomb testing programs of the late 1950s. And then right after Argus, you have the Antarctica Treaty, which specifically says no testing of nuclear bombs. Well, why do you need to put that on there unless <laughs> there had been previous tests? So right. Yeah. A little bit of a telltale sign. So a lot, a lot of mysteries in the world. I guess that's what I'm saying. Not only these esoteric subjects, as I call them, pertaining to us as humans, knowing ourselves, but also the geography of our planet, even off-planet structures on other planets. There's quite a bit of evidence that there are ancient bases on the moon, on Mars, on the planet, uh, the moons of Mars, Phobos has a giant uh, obelisk that astronaut Buzz Aldrin has referred to in an interview that we should go to Phobos and find out what that obelisk is all about. I have pictures of it in my book, Future Asteric, for people that want to see what some of these off-planet sites look like. I mean, there's just so many mysteries of the world that are all coming to the fore right now for us to digest and understand. It can sometimes be overwhelming, but at the same time, it's very exciting to have, right. have the new library of Alexandria, as it were, with uh, so much research on the internet and so much new information coming out all the time to uh, keep up with this stuff is <laughs> quite a challenge, but fortunately that's what I do full time. Yeah. All the time looking into this stuff. I mean, I don't do it full time, but <laughs> I do try to keep up with it all. Um, so, so you mentioned the moon. You got a regular job. Yeah, I do have a regular job. <laughs> um, but the moon, the moon is something I've always found curious. There, there's two things about the moon uh, that I find fascinating. One theory is that it was put there. The other theory is that it is hollow and actually um, like a space, like a Death Star, basically, or some kind of spaceship. Right. That that is correct. There's so many things that are very unusual about the moon that the uh, dark side never faces the Earth. That it just always rotates around the Earth with the one side facing us so we never can peer with our telescopes and other looking devices to see what's there uh, at least amateur astronomers now right. there have been many probes including the apollo missions that went around to the dark side and some of the reports of what they saw are just uh, spectacular and outstanding uh and not only that, but also photo evidence of, of what's back there. So the moon is, a, is an anomaly. You know, the, the, when one of the Apollo missions landed, they said when the module touched down, they did a hard landing on purpose, and they said it rang like a bell. That suggests that the moon is, for the most part, hollow, has been either mine out or is some kind of space station and has these properties that it's just like a metal bell that when you hit it really hard it reverberates so we have a lot to learn about the moon too and new evidence there is also coming out it's interesting that china 
put up their probes recently. Uh, but as far as I know, they're being pretty tight-lipped about yeah. revealing any new findings or photos of bases. Why, why do you like think that. we stopped going to the moon? They're still oh, like all of a sudden we just stopped going there. I don't think we have stopped going to the moon. Oh, I think, think we have we kept going. Transferred into a secret space program that has continued going there. Hmm. Do you think they use spaceships um, still to get there, or do you I think know, they're know, using portals? So I know a couple of the uh, secret space program super soldiers, although they prefer the term augmented. I was just with uh, Captain Randy Kramer two weeks ago in Sedona, and we are both uh, being interviewed by the Hurtax. And he said that uh, he's been there. He's, he was even deployed on Mars for a spell. They're using, yeah, they're using jump room technology, which is basically portal or mm -hmm. Stargate technology to move quickly over distance. But that's uh, the big supplies needed to support these bases has to come via craft. But they, he said the craft can make it to Mars very quickly within a couple days. So they're traveling close to the light sometimes. And that right there should be a telltale sign that they have technology. Now it's called the Space Four. The year it was announced. But I think that this is a real way of disclosing the fact that we have uh, very advanced technology, have had for decades, backward engineering, down craft and other machineries that uh, are now being utilized and have been. Um, so I don't think it's really fair to say that we went to the moon on the Apollo missions and never went back. Uh -huh. I think we've continued to go back and now the technology even much more superior than of course the 60s and 70s with these rocket ships that Werner von Braun was <laughs> for bringing forth they're just kind of like giant Roman candles you know they just shoot out the back and propel yeah. forward but uh, anti-gravity or zero point energy is so so much more advanced than any of that and uh, certainly do not need fossil fuels to fly them either. And that's really the core secret of all this, Gary, because it's not so much, let's say, for example, uh, disclosing extraterrestrials on this planet. It's not so much, oh, how tall are they? Or what color eyes do they have? Or is their skin scaly or is it skin-like? That's not really what is important to cover up. What's important is the next question. How did they get here? And what did they use to transverse the great expanses of outer space to arrive at Earth? That's the big question. That's the core secret that's been covered up for a long time. Because once we start examining how extraterrestrials have traveled, and just keep in mind, we've always been conditioned to say extraterrestrials meaning outside, terrestrials, planets outside of our own. Yes, But then there's also inner terrestrials, those entities that may have been residing right here on Earth underground for a long, long time. And then there's also ultra-terrestrials, interdimensional beings yes. that may be able to phase in and out of this third-dimensional reality. So really to examine the whole ET question, not only the craft that they use, how they do it uh, is very much an esoteric subject that uh, deserves our attention. Um, the, the, the people that we use for these secret space programs, do you think they're just regular humans or they think you think they're just making clones so that way nobody notices anybody missing or they actually recruit? Yeah. People? Yeah. The, the, this is, 
Yeah, this is going to be something that really uh, messes with people's minds once uh, start realizing that we can be cloned almost, and I say almost, an exact replica. Apparently, they can't quite get the ears just right. That's a telltale sign. And then often there'll be other very little subtleties, perhaps in the speech of a clone, not quite right. Sometimes the look, feel of the person, not quite right. And these are things that uh, will tip us off. And all the major leaders have clones. This is pretty well known. They have to because sometimes there's death threats and they want to uh, send their clone instead. Um, but when it, it's a clone or when it's real, that can sometimes be difficult to pinpoint. Plus, it's not been acknowledged that human cloning is taking place. Although, just remember, there was Dolly the sheep right. that was back, uh, what, in the late 1980s? So, I mean, this technology has been in place and has now been affected. Um, there are many different ways of disguising them, but uh, once again, hidden in plain sight, I think uh, once the truth is revealed, we're going to see that uh, cloning was never really that big of a deal. Uh, there's much harder things to do with the human body. And then this also opens up the whole concept, well, hey, if we can clone each other, why can't we just extend our lives, make our bodies healthy? And this is more technology that will be released, hopefully, in our lifetimes so we can use it. But the med beds and other uh, healing modalities that will allow us to live very long lives I have a chapter in Modern Esoteric in the Thrive section called Living to 200. Uh, and it's quite feasible that these bodies can go quite a long distance. But of course, we've got to take care of ourselves along the way. You can't just expect to be an old, broken down person that can barely walk or feed themselves anymore. And then poof, back yeah. to a young person's body. It doesn't quite work that way. But it can be used as enhancements. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is what the Integratron was all about down in yeah. Yucca Valley, uh -huh. the Joshua Tree. That's what um, George Van Tassel was working on. And that's, in, in essence, like one of these med beds, which are being talked about as being rolled out of these 600 patents, not just free energy or zero-point technologies, but also health benefits that can really benefit the human race. Yeah, I, I always questioned why we get older and sick when our body regenerates all new cells every seven years. Yeah, isn't that interesting? We, we should be able to uh, keep it going longer and longer. But, uh, well, I think, as you know, that there is a depopulation agenda. There is a reason why these health technologies are not being introduced, and that's because the ruling elite doesn't want to see us all live into 150 or 200. They think of us quite contemptuously as the useless eaters. They'd rather us just work the young life Mm -hmm. as much as they can get out of us and then expire us right away. It's not really <laughs> in their best interest to see us living that long, but their days are numbered and they can't keep hoarding this in this uh, technology to themselves. It's not going to work out that way. And right. ultimately uh, this will be rolled out hopefully sooner than later. I, you've probably heard of Nasara and Jisara and one of the very promising aspects of these new programs is that all, all this, over 600 patents that have been bottled up of this kind of technology will be rolled out and will be given away, not just for a profit, 
but mm -hmm. given to the human race. So this is very promising. And I'm definitely keeping an eye on the rollout of NASARA is the national program. JISARA with a G is the global program. They pretty much work hand in hand, but sometimes individual countries will have uh, different specialities that uh, will have to be part of that. But uh, any of your listeners, if they're not familiar with this, can look these up and find a lot more information online. Interesting. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, us having the anti-gravity technology. Um, does that have anything to do with the element 115 that Bob Lazar talks about? Well, yes, it does. If you look at uh, element 115 and 116, it's interesting. They call them Lazar proofs now, and I do feature Bob <laughs> Lazar in my next book, uh, Beyond Esoteric. It's just so interesting about what he's been able to uh, predict. And at the time when he talked about element 115, it did not exist. Right. Today it does. Yeah. Lawrence Livermore Labs has created it and it's on the periodic table of elements. It's as real as all the other elements. So that's another Lazar proof. Now the way he described it being used and he was backward engineering at S4, the underground base near Area 51 in Nevada, the Nellis uh, larger base, he was saying that they were bombarding it with, um, was it a certain kind of proton or certain kind of element? They're bombarding it and it would just release this huge amount of energy from the uh, element 115. And that's what was captured to power the ship. So, in a way, it was like free energy, although you have to start with the base element 115, and then you have to have the technology to, uh, to bombard it and, and spark this uh, huge amount of released technology. And it's kind of interesting that Bob Lazar said he was brought into the program because they tried to crack open one of these free energy devices that were used on the ship. It was only about the size of a basketball. Yeah. And they cracked it open and it just blew up the whole laboratory and killed dozens of uh, right. specialists and scientists. And that's why he was brought in um, <laughs> as a technician to fill in for some of those that were just killed. So the story of Bob Lazar, absolutely fascinating. I know uh, Jeremy uh, Corville, I met him at Contact in the Desert as a speaker, and uh, I'm really glad he came out with that movie about Bob Lazar, and more importantly, yeah, that Bob Lazar movie. is still willing to talk about many of these things. Yeah, I think he will and has been vindicated. Uh, absolutely. I, I, there was so much video. in that movie that, you know, debunks all the disinformation that was put out there about him. Yeah, that's right. So hopefully he'll still be willing to uh, speak out because he's very important classified information at the time. But again, this really ultimately belongs to the human race. It, the secrets they just have to go away. We, we're really, if we're going to evolve and, and find a way to be peaceful among ourselves on this planet and even go traveling among the stars as projected as humans 300 years from now in Star Trek, we're going to have to find peace with ourselves, but we're also going to have to have what I call in uh, my book, Future Esoteric, the age of transparency. It's just going to have to be that there will be no more secrets. That we're just going to have to start working together as a human race. It's not a us versus them. It's not a China versus U.S. Ultimately, it's going to have to be the human race working together. And I think only then, at that point, will we be invited by benevolent ETs, this galactic federation, to join them. Because right now, 
look at what's going on in the world, Gary. I mean, we're like uh, the planet of the apes. <laughs> still polluting this planet we can't get it together and we need to get it together it's our responsibility right. it's not their responsibility for the humans to clean up this planet and yeah, clean I, up I, I think it's i think really we have a gr- i think we have a greed issue yeah there's that too yeah i think that's there what it is. is that too i think there's that and so another question you know with, with on this topic, I, I've talked to other people who mentioned uh, about different multidimensional beings, typically Pleiadians and Syrians, um, working with humans to help raise our vibration, to help us ascend to that level that you're talking about, where we'll be able to start going off planet. Right. And that absolutely has to happen. Humans have to change. And I'm not talking about transhumanism where it's a forced change. I'm talking about us wanting to do it and us almost becoming Buddha-like and and seeking enlightenment and Mm -hmm. seeking this empowerment. And I remember reading in that great magazine, Nexus, it's still out. It comes out of Australia. Wonderful magazine, really covers all these subjects that I write about and uh, so much more. But I remember reading it uh, probably 20 years ago, and they were talking about the secret space program and how one of the major barriers for our own astronauts to achieve faster than the speed of light travel to travel through wormholes for example was that the astronauts were basically coming out of military training they're your typical jarheads and maybe have even killed people before in conflicts and this and that but the the problem was they needed to be of an enlightened or buddha nature to travel at these uh great speeds because and this goes along with some of the light that once you reach that speed, you become your light body. Yes. And that is pretty much what the Buddha was saying, that you become this uh, enlightened, light-end being. So until we really get a good understanding for doing that, And this is what I think the greatest challenge for the human race is going to be in the coming uh, decades to reach this age of transparency. Because at that point, you cannot lie anymore. We're going to be able to read each other's aura fields. Someone who lies has a very uh, dark aura. I believe the color is dark red. Where most of us who are honest and always feel we need to tell the truth you're, you're vibrating at a higher level than someone who deceives or is a sociopath. And those people are just going to become very transparent to all of us. It's not even something we're going to have to learn. If we do become of this more Buddha nature, it's just going to be one of these innate abilities, as I was speaking earlier about superhuman abilities. This mm-hmm. is all going to become available once we start to really – uh, manifest this amongst ourselves. Right. <clears throat> so it's a great time to be alive right now. It's a really wonderful time to see all this happening and to play our small parts in it. Uh, you doing your radio show, Gary, me writing books and us discussing this, helping each other and others to understand this great potential we have as the human race to really rise up and finally assert our independence here on the surface of this planet. We are the ones who are in charge, but the way we have been treating each other and the way we've been treating nature and the planet itself is it has to change. It's not sustainable as you know, and uh, we're just going to have to make it a better world for everyone and everything. Right. You know, and I think too, you know, actually before, just before you, I had, I was doing another, podcast um with a guy who um we were talking about the construction of the great pyramid 
and he was talking about how the Great Pyramid was his power source. And it was a free energy power source. And it's like, why aren't we using that now? You know? Mm. And, and Yeah, you know, well, I've been to the Great Pyramid and inside it, and I climbed to the top of it. And it's, uh, it's in a great state of disrepair. It's mm-hmm. almost like saying, well, we found a uh, giant mothership under the ice in Antarctica. Why don't we just uh, fire it up and go fly around? Well, it's right. busted. And that's true with the Great Pyramid. Right, but we could recreate it. Can we it. reproduce it? Can yeah. we make it back into Yeah, and I, I would agree with your guess that it was a power plant. It was used multi-functions, not just that, but the fact that it's so strategically aligned on ley lines to receive Earth energy and also to tap into that. Um, pyramids are natural generators of earth energy and the ancients who built the great pyramid obviously knew this and i have a map in modern esoteric of the positioning of the great pyramid and how it is really the anchor point for all the continents on Earth. So if you look at the longitude and latitude lines as they radiate out from the Great Pyramid at Giza, you'll see it goes all the way down through Africa, second biggest continent, all the way along the latitude of Asia, the biggest continent, and also anchors in North America on the other side of the world. So then you also consider that there are pyramids on every continent of the world, including Australia, including Antarctica. And you have what was some kind of giant computer system, I believe is the best way to put it, that connected all these pyramids and used earth energy and tapped into it in such a way that we're only now starting to get an idea how it worked. And it's profound. And if we were able to rebuild these pyramids on all the continents, that may also be a source of free energy, but it would also perhaps anchor the planets uh, from moving around, say, during a pole shift. And I, I think that was one of the reasons why the ancient builders put up these pyramids was to harness stability in the continental movements. And um, as to now... We haven't had a pole shift, so perhaps they're still working in that capacity. Yes. Um, what do you think happened to Atlantis and Lemuria? Well, there were there were continental shifts. Yeah. There were the movement of land masses, which were once all connected, Pangea. Uh, and this is this is known, this is factual, that there are species of plant and animal, flora and fauna, which once existed even on Antarctica, which can be connected to other continents that it was once connected to. Of course, those species are long gone, but they remain in the fossil record. We can also tell because when lava flows out of a volcano, it has um, geodetic markers towards the polar regions. And if there's a pole shift, well, that lava has dried and it remains pointing to where those polar regions once were. Also, uh, Jacques Cousteau, the famous underwater explorer, which I cover in my book, Sacred Places Around the World, he went down into some of the uh, underwater caves of the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, and he discovered which were at an angle. So not only can these uh, rock formations occur to be dry caves to create stalagmites and stalactites, so the fact that they were flooded and at an angle so they were even uh, at like a 15 degree angle 
when he saw them underwater in these caves, suggesting that, yes, they, cre they were created a long, long time ago when these caves were dry and that the earth moved and then left them at these uh, odd angles that wouldn't make sense for being made prior to these pole shifts. So the whole concept of plate Teutonic movements is, is a fairly recent scientific study. Only in the last century have we understood that plates move, continents shift. Antarctica was once a temperate continent. And this is evident, as I said, in the fossil records. There was a, there's a place above the Beardmore Glacier called Mount Buckley. And I talk about this in my uh, presentation called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica that is filled with fossils, uh, mostly megafauna, but also megaflora, giant ferns that once lived down there. That must have been in a temperate climate, could not have grown in Antarctica as we know it today. And just a little side note of history, it was the uh, Scott expedition that was racing to the South Pole, uh, got beat by the Norwegian Anmundsen only 35 days prior. But on their way back, they were collecting all these fossil samples from Mount Buckley. And it's one of the reasons they got bogged down on the Ross Ice Shelf and mm -hmm. all five members of the Scott B perished. And it was largely because they were bringing out all these rocks to bring back to the uh, scientific academies in the UK. So a lot of great mysteries that are being uncovered around the world and showing us that we live on a very dynamic planet, one that is in a constant state of flux. There are new islands being formed. You know, there's a new Hawaiian island that's forming off the uh, big island. It has not broken above ground yet, mm -hmm. but uh, people can go out there and see these volcanic eruptions coming up through the water in the form of gases and bubbles coming up. So the earth is always changing and always for us, the continents are pretty well locked in place. So let's hope that remains <laughs> <laughs> unless we have to build some new great pyramids to uh, keep drifting around. Right. Um, do, do you think like maybe, I mean, if maybe the, if the Great Pyramids were there, to, you know, to protect us, say, from the from pole shifts and you know continents moving around and stuff like that, um, do you think they had anything in place to protect us from, um, you know, asteroids and meteors and stuff like that? I, I wouldn't know that particular one. Um, I would think that there probably probably was. I mean, if we're talking about antediluvian civilizations with high-tech uh, different degrees of technology, that it would seem that they would have some way to protect us from asteroids. And of course, an asteroid hit could be devastating. In fact, that's how they think the dinosaurs went yeah. extinct, that there's a massive crater down there at the Yucatan, but mostly in the uh, Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. that struck the earth and then created all the volcanoes to go off and continents to move, tidal waves, and the volcanoes created a nuclear winter type of scenario that basically uh, killed off the dinosaurs because they needed hot, warm climate. But gave rise to the mammals. Here we are today. <laughs> Unless we existed back then, too. You know, there are some, um, I think, petroglyphs that show humans living among dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I have a picture in uh, my upcoming book, Beyond Esoteric, that show dinosaur prints and 
human footprints in the fossil record walking together that could have only been created in a, in a short period of time together before they dried and got covered over by other uh, earth material to preserve them. So yeah, there are even some uh, photos in my cryptozoology chapter in Futuristeric of uh, in the Tombstone, Arizona newspaper where they shot down a pterodactyl in the 19th century, mm -hmm. which were called Thunderbirds by Native Americans. I mean, yeah. many legends of these giant flying beasts that were big enough to pick up a small child and take him away. No bird alive today can carry away a child, but a pterodactyl could. So a lot of interesting tidbits, a lot of history that hasn't been fully uh, discussed or revealed until now. A lot of great information is coming out now. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is the most important things for humans to do um, for us to avoid disaster and get to that point where we're um, not so dense that we can actually travel faster than the speed of light to, to really start exploring space. Yeah. <clears throat> well, and that's, this is a good way to, to end the talk, Gary, because really what it all comes down to is us bettering ourselves. I love the two words on the temple of Apollo at Delphi, which simply said, know thyself. And the more that we're able to know ourselves, to better ourselves, to be open to these great changes which are now coming to the earth, and to be the best human being we could possibly be, uh, being honest and truthful in all our dealings, our words, our thoughts, it all comes down to that. You know, there's a lot of discussion that humans may be making this interdimensional leap but not everybody's going to be ready to do that. Right. Only the ones who are starting to know thyself and to become into this Buddha-like body uh, will be able to transcend the uh, stars as well. So there's so many good reasons why we should endeavor to know ourselves and to better ourselves all the while. We'll live longer and be happier in our lives and, uh, perhaps have some of these superhuman abilities come along as an end result. But that's really the gist of this human experience. We're living in an incredible age and so much is starting to become known. And it's really for those people who have an open mind and a disposition to really understand all this and take it in and benefit from it. Absolutely. So that's what I endeavor to do. That's what I try to put yeah. out in my books and my talks like with you today. And yeah. I can tell you're on the same tip. Yeah. I'm, 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 really, I'm right here really with you. <laughs> right on. I can tell you are, with this podcast, you know, it's just to get information out there and try to open a couple minds. Yep. You got it. One open mind at a time. That'll work. Exactly. All right, man. Well, so uh, tell my listeners where they can find you and uh, your books. Sure, sure. Well, if you want to know more about me and what I'm up to, I have other uh, projects that I work on. You can go to bradolson.com. Also list my uh, upcoming conferences that I'll be speaking at. And I just really love to meet people too. I'll be at my book table signing books at these conferences. I'm not one of those people that hides away or only there for a short period of time. I'm usually there. I'm not doing one of my talks. I'll be at my table uh, signing books and talking to people. Uh, and if you want to know more about the books themselves and my publishing business is cccpublishing.com. And I would invite you to uh, find me on Facebook, Brad Olson, CCC Publishing sacred places 108 destinations and esoteric book series and i also have a youtube channel 
under my name, Brad Olson, CCC Publishing, and the Esoteric series with uh, all of the audiobook chapters were also video, which I put up on this site. So you can actually listen to my audiobooks for free on my YouTube channel. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. All right, man. What I'll do is hey, I'll put, I'll put those links being in, the, in service uh, to others. And Okay, great. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Fantastic. Well, hey, it was uh, great speaking with you today. Yeah, we should uh, try to do it again in December another time. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you want to come on, again. just send and me then, an email. Uh, Eric will be out. All right, man. Thanks. Sounds great. You're welcome. Great. You're a wonderful host. Thank you. You're a great guest. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.